This is the future. Hello and welcome to the Alternate Futures podcast, where we chat with indie sci-fi creators about their work, the world, and anything in between or beyond. Today, I'm here with Kathleen McClure. You might remember her from such series as The Fortune Chronicles and The Zodiac Files. A former actor and fight choreographer and constant 14-year-old, Kathleen has always been fiercely engaged by rip-roaring escapist adventures. A longtime lover of all things genre, she writes character-driven sci-fi and fantasy for lovers of -of out-of-this-world adventures, featuring a plethora of rough-around-the-edge heroes. Between writing binges, she also has taken to creating lawnscapes with a set of rainbow-colored flamingos, a hobby which has overtaken the knitting years, which in turn overtook the the trying-to-rock-the-school-age birthday party years. Kathleen currently lives in Austin, Texas with her stoic husband, two teenagers, and three cats. Hi, Kathleen. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm just realizing that I did update that bio because it was four cats until about three weeks ago. Oh, okay. Sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, we, we, we lost did, our elderly. We, we had a cat that uh, died on us. It was quite a part of the family for 16 years almost. Ex- that's so exactly, that's, yes, that age. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is when they start to um falling apart with I guess, it, as it were <laughs> it goes, like it was it was very fast yeah perky happy cat to i'm done i kind of wish yeah i hope that's how it don't want to get depressing but i'm kind of hoping i can be like that not have to do this <laughs> whole long lingering slow decline <laughs> yeah. ours was a bit longer unfortunately but uh okay we came back from a vacation and uh and he just sort of started a slow downward spiral um, till the point where we just couldn't ignore it. He, he was walking into walls and falling oh, off of beds and stuff and yeah, just hurting himself all over the place. So oh, it's man. quite sad, but yeah. That's bad. Um, but, but moving on to something a bit more uplifting. <laughs> um, so you uh, were an actor and fight choreographer uh, back I, in the day then. I was back in the day, way back. Because when I went to uh, school, I eventually fell into, I kind of fell into the theater major just because nothing else gripped me. And I figured I couldn't be a writer because I didn't have anything interesting to write at the age of 19. So I went with theater and I graduated in theater and then I moved to New York to go to a theater school. And I really didn't enjoy Speaking of being an introvert, I didn't enjoy auditioning or networking or meeting people or um, selling myself. And I was okay. There are tons of better actors out there. But I did find that I loved fight scenes and I loved fight choreography and I loved the story that you tell with movement in that when, when the characters get to the point where this is it, I really love telling that story. Um, and I had some good mentors and I got to try it out for a while. But again, it's a highly it's an even more competitive field than acting there are fewer jobs and if you can't give it your all which you have to be able to spend money to give it your all to go to conventions and to continue to keep up your craft and all of that other stuff uh i i just i burned out on every possible aspect of theater that it is you can burn out on just in time to decide hey let's have kids (laughs) so (laughs) that's convenient timing I guess yeah (laughs) it did work out but I loved I did love fight choreography and I loved working with actors to tell a story in just this like microcosm of this one moment in the whole play that it all comes down to this it was just this like oh yeah I love that um so I like that in writing too uh but it is in fact a little harder to choreograph fights when you don't have physical bodies to move around I have discovered you, can you imagine them well enough to, to sort of translate your experience? I, 
Well, we'll have to ask the readers. I think <laughs> okay. so. I think so. It's mostly you have to make sure everybody knows who's hitting whom. How much does it hurt? Um, I try not to get too graphic because I have a PG-13 audience. So I, I try to try, I, you know, there's not, somebody might lose a limb, but we're not going to really delve into that. Um, a lot of what I, and sometimes I'll just go to uh, watching fight scenes. I'm the Libra Gambit, which is the one that's currently available to be read on my website. A couple of the fights um, I went to, oh, peace, not peacemaker. Uh, I was inspired for the final battle for that one by the last, by one of the scenes in the last Suicide Squad movie. Oh, okay. And the movements are not exactly the same, but the intensity of the motion between the two people was very much, I went, that's what I want to feel. And then that's what I, I moved into to, to put in there. So hmm. did you manage to work on any, <laughs> did you work on any um, uh, larger movies when you were a fight choreographer? I worked on a teeny tiny movie when I was a fight choreographer because I was non-union. Oh, okay. And it, that's another whole thing. That's another whole thing because it costs a whole bunch of money to get in the union and to stay in the union. But I did uh, the violence. I was a violence consultant because that's what they had to call it for an indie called Trouble on the Corner. And uh, oh, Giancarlo Esposito was in that. I got to meet him briefly, hmm. but his stand-in was there most of the time because he was off filming something else. So we actually had, there were a lot of names in it who apparently thought this would be a great movie to do, um, shooting most of the violence at two in the morning in Spanish Harlem in an abandoned building. Oh, so, that, I, and it took me six, like three to six months of hounding them just to get paid for that because it was an indie film, yada, yada, yada. Um, so at that point, that was when I was sort of on the tipping point of maybe this is not how I want to live my life. Right, but right. I did that. And then I did a couple of stunts on some soap operas. Um, I did a fire, my, my highest high of my resume, which is very tiny, was I got to do a fire gig for As the World Turns. turns and that was a blast, literally. Ah, cool. <laughs> um, do you, when you fight, when you, well, when you do fight choreography, do you have like a, a special a specialization sort of techniques or, or do you study a wide range of techniques? You kind of have to every, I would say that this is when you're going to get a lot of different answers. There are um, some people who just, it's also funny because there's stunt coordinators and then there's fight choreographers. So there's two different things and they have two different specialties, um, both about safety. In the end, the most important thing is you don't damage the highly insurable actors. But um, in the American Fight Society, and I believe there is one over there too, because I first learned from B.H. Berry, who was a British fight choreographer, in New York at the time. There's a lot of different schools, but you definitely have to be able to, you're, if you're in Shakespeare, you're gonna to need to know some swords. Everybody has to have hand-to-hand. -hand. Some people specialize in staff work, they can add that on. So as, as you're doing it, you can keep building your repertoire. You can go to different countries and look at their source material. So you're not just always doing European fighting. Um, it's, it's one of those professions that's interesting because you do always have to keep learning. You can't just sit there and go, okay, I know what I know and I'm just gonna do the same one, two, one, two, one, two, five. You can't just keep doing that. It gets really boring. So yeah, no, and then, oh, the knife fights, the people who just do knife, knife fights, those are really hard. I never learned how to do that as well as I think a person needs to do that. And so have you ever watched the John Wick movies then? 
I haven't. And do you know why? <laughs> because in the first movie, I knew they killed the dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I said, I keep saying, I'm going to, I really want to start watching from two on up because no more dog problem. And I'm absolutely down with that. <laughs> they did get another dog, but it didn't, as far as I'm aware, it didn't get killed. So no, I don't think they're going to kill us. I think, I think maybe someone figured out maybe they shouldn't have done that in the first movie. <laughs> <'cause he's> like, <laughs> Turn too many people off. Yeah. You know, what's really good is the Reacher series. The fights in that are, wow. Tom Cruise, right? Not Cruise. Or is it this, uh, the TV? The new TV one. Oh, okay, I haven't seen um, those yet. Yeah, those fights are all the, the close-in, elbow elbow strike, really just fast and effective. Just like, yeah. <laughs> Realistic, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then you went from fight choreographer to uh, birthday parties to yep. lawnscapes with rainbow flamingos. <laughs> oh, don't skip the knitting, man. That knitting was Christmas gifts for a couple of years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this this landscaping, sorry, lawnscaping. lawnscaping. Um, so tell me a bit about that. Uh, okay. <laughs> just trying to picture that. Well, now you're not in the U.S., but I'm sure even you will understand that there were ramifications around 2016. Right. And in no late November 2016, I was depressed. Our entire neighborhood was depressed. We were bummed. And I said, oh, look, there are these rainbow yard flamingos. That's what I want now. Because I wanted to just put something optimistic out there. So I did. And then a holiday rolled around and I said, hmm, maybe I should do something with the flamingos. So the flamingos had things like Valentine's Day or spring break, or they would be laying, putting on their gear and doing some gardening. Um, I have a Hamilton landscape because some of my neighbors were so excited by it and knew that I loved Hamilton that someone made me a bunch of Hamilton outfits. So we had a week of Hamilton scenes. <laughs> I have done American Gothic. I have, oh, I did a Jurassic Park one that I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> I could only imagine. And we did an homage to Ruth Bader Ginsburg on her, on her, on her departure. So yeah, no, it's a thing. And unfortunately the Texas sun is really hard on plastic. They're getting really fragile and I'm sort of slowing down. Like I'll pull them in for a while and let them um, rest before I come up with another to do. Cause they're just, and the kids are growing up. All the little toddlers who, you know, I love yellow the most. Um, they're in grade school now and a little less excited. So. Right. Yeah. Pulling back. Pulling you, haven't, back. you haven't thought of replacing them then since they're getting excited. And... But do you understand that there is a shortage of everything on the planet right now? <laughs> that's, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so the um, flamingos don't have any anything to do with the so the stoic husband, do they? <laughs> no, the, I think the writing and the fact that he lives with a, a a grumpy introvert has more to do with the stoic husband, a goofy grumpy introvert. I'm yeah. sure my wife would uh, would relate to that as well. Uh, so, what what was your your path from choreographer to author then? It was a it was a slow one, like Baymax. Um, I had. Two children, we, we moved house from New York City to Texas where I knew nobody and had a baby. And then I had another baby um, in pretty short order because I was getting old, so what we do. Um, and then as the children got older and I'm not, both of my kids are uh, on the neurodiverse spectrum. I'm pretty sure I am too, but I can't afford to get diagnosed, so whatever. But um, Sometimes you just I, you don't know, want to I, know. I don't need anybody to tell me. I'm like, I know how I am in public. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> just those kids did not come from nowhere is all I'm saying. So when they started school, it wasn't just 
okay, I can send them off to school and have a life. Um, it's that I had to pay attention to. So I actually stayed a stay-at-home mom. I started writing in 2004 because a friend who was still in New York talked to me into joining the National Novel Writing Month. And it was fun. It was the most fun I'd had in a really long time because I hadn't had a chance to be super creative except when a birthday party came around. Um, so I went ahead and did it the next year. And then after that, I said, okay, well, maybe I can turn one of these things into an actual novel. Found out editing is really hard. Started writing outside a different story that had nothing to do with Nano and got pretty far with it. And then I had another family event happen, which is that my younger brother got brain cancer. So everything, thinking about publication just stopped for a while. I, that's when I signed on to join a, um, another friend who was in an RP community that did a Star Trek, you know, role-playing writing. And I feel really bad for that community because I was using it. Now I can look back and go, oh, I was working out all my grief and trauma with this poor, poor character <laughs> who couldn't catch a break in this fictional world. <laughs> It was so harsh. I feel so bad for them. But um, nobody actively hated it. And actually, some people liked it. And I got a couple of writing partners out of it out in the real world. And as I uh, did it, I learned more about pacing. I learned more about the value of what needs to be there and what doesn't. Um, so it was a huge learning experience for me to do that. And then when I burned out on that or and was ready to just move on and try writing my own stuff again, I could do it with some sense of what I needed it to look like. So it was a, it was a humpy, lumpy, confused road between let's try nano because I need something to do with my time to let's go ahead and try publishing. Yeah. It's amazing how many people start with the NaNoWriMo, isn't it? That's kind of where I sort of formally started uh, my yeah. introduction as well. Yeah. And so how long has it been since you decided to sort of get serious uh, with your, with your books? I'm, it was really seven years from the cancer diagnosis to, I think the year I published. About, yeah, it was seven years. And that, at that seventh year is when I took Soldier of Fortune and went, okay, we're doing it. And um, so I had to, uh, so I spent that year writing that book and then I published it at the end of about like maybe 12 or 13 months. And, I, and then I, just threw it out on all those little websites and went, okay, whatever happens, happens. And started the next two books with my partners because I wanted to um, diversify. I didn't want to just stay in one character all the time because I know my brain, even when I didn't know everything, I knew my brain needed to jump to different things. So the other guy had a chance to grow again. Um, it was a, so it was a long haul and a, a lot of it had to do with real life intrusion. And some of it had to do with just not being ready yet. Yeah, yeah. And I thought I was ready. And I started <laughs> trying every other author's ideas about how to write fast. That was not a good idea. Yeah, I've, I've explored a, a lot of, well, various ideas as well, I'm trying to incorporate them. But I think, uh, I think for me, also, the, the fast writing is just not something that's ever going to work. Um, my brain doesn't quite, no matter how well I plan in advance, my brain doesn't quite... Uh, stream of consciousness that quickly <laughs> at least when yeah. i put it on a paper anyway no no and i and I, i've certainly had moments when i could write 
a whole lot a day, but it was really only at about one to two hours of day that I could do it. And the mm. rest of the time, if, um, as well as my, if we're going to get into brain types, um, one thing that I encourage a lot, anybody who is having trouble with, um, anybody who wants to be more productive or who feels they're not working to their best advantage, I do encourage them to check out um, either the Becca Symes Dear Author books or Clifton Strengths or both and figure out why that is. Because some people need to write many hours a day and they are brilliant at it and they can do it till doomsday. Other people are on the opposite extreme where they need to think a whole lot, maybe write a little a day or think a whole lot and then binge. I'm sort of a hybrid. I can do the binging, but I can also do the, a little bit a day. It just depends on what I've got, what kind of input I'm getting that will feed whatever it is I'm trying to, to, to create at that moment. So the more, this is one of those, man, know your brain so you can take care of your brain so your brain can take care of your story. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. I think I'm, I'm one of those that needs to think a lot about the story. Um, and then I find most productive when I just, you know, What's it called? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sprints. 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 That's sprints. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah right, <laughs> so yeah, right. I, I'm I'm best when I sprint for like a couple half an hour, maybe one hour or two hours, and then yeah. and then I've got to go with something else. Yeah. And when you know neurophysiologically, I know some uh, even the long haul writers, the people who like do it all day, chances are likely that they can get maybe 45 to 90 minutes tops of deep work. Mm. Mostly, it's like dreaming. You'll be surfacing. You'll be circling in and out of what's easy and what's hard. But that kind of depth of flow, flow really only lasts for most humans at about 45 to 90 minutes. Yeah, it's interesting. I do, I do know most of them, well, they talk about flow as well. And they, and they do tend to sprint for like half an hour at a time and then yeah. break and then try to catch, get catch the flow yeah. again. Yeah. Um, before we go into sort of your book specifically and, and sci-fi in general, I wanted to touch on your, your publishing uh, for a couple <laughs> reasons. So I know I did read your blog. <laughs> um, so maybe we could start there and then move sort of move forward from there. So, so you were uh, KDP Select. I've had a lot of authors on who who have made a lot of money using KDP Select, um, but you yeah. had a problem recently or something. Well, the real issue is I did KDP Select a couple of times. Mostly I stayed on, mostly I published just, I published on KDP, but I did not go for their select program because it's scary. <laughs> um, one time, so what happened was that I was, during one of the times I thought, okay, I don't have very many books. Let's just stay with select and see what happens. I got pirated. And actually I still am being pirated. I'm being pirated right, left and in between. It's been happening ever since the first book got out. Someone got a hold of Soldier way back when and they've just been going, Wee! not because they're making any money from it but because it's a phishing scheme. So I got pirated and I got my, I got Soldier removed and I got my account almost closed until I found it and proved 16 times. Look who's here. And by the way, look at all the other KDP authors who are select who they're also pirating. And somehow it got to a human who cared enough and said, oh, okay, not your bad, we'll fix it. This last time, I think it's my fault because after that I said, okay, I don't want to do select anymore because I'm never going to not be pirated. And I just don't feel like having to worry that much about, I don't wanna be worried about this in addition to trying to produce work. It's just hard. But last summer, another life hump hit. And my stepfather 
died. And between his passing and me getting on the airplane to go to my mother's house, I thought, let's update some back matter on the books. Stupid idea. Because the thing that happened is I am almost sure, and I can't say for certain, I'm almost sure I accidentally clicked the button that put soldier back on select. Because I remember seeing it and then going, oh, I don't want to be on this page and flipping back. But I could have hit that button. Right. But all I know is I'm in another state the day before the funeral, and I get the, you're a horrible person. You know what you did. We're taking a soldier off. Fix it. And I'm like, I can't fix it because I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. And then they closed my account, and then I begged, and I closed my account, and I begged, and they're like, stop talking to us. And I'm like, life's too short. So I stopped talking to them. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, they they just sort of slam the door almost right away. Don't I know some authors here and and definitely, you know, not people that you would ever consider would have done something wrong. You know, like yeah, they always catch the people who aren't doing something wrong. It's yeah, like the IRS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I guess the, the message is uh, try to get lucky if you're going on KBP Select. Otherwise, don't go on KBP Select. <laughs> Pretty much. It, it's a system that can work for a lot of people. And it does. And if you don't have an adrenal reaction and go and panic and panic type going, I don't know what I did. Um, you can probably get through. In fact, I could probably in a year or two, or even now I could probably go back and try to find a human being who would sit there and go, oh, this was a mistake. But for me, as I look back over the years that I was with him, and this is key, because as much as I'm all about sharing the work and having, you know, getting people to read it, I lost money on Amazon. They made more money from my ads than I ever made from sales or page reads. And part of that's because I'm not a fast writer. Part of that's because I'm super niche. And part of that's because I'm a terrible advertiser. I mean, I just, you know, I took all the classes. I followed all the advice. And I'm like, you know, this may not be, again, this may not be the route for me. Yeah. This, so for me, KDP was the 2 a.m. in the priest in that broken down building in Spanish Harlem trying to pretend I'm drowning somebody. Like, <laughs> it's a particular it's skill. Like move on. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but also, I think the problem also is that, you know, once, once your stuff has been pirated, once someone yeah. else has it's going to be there forever, basically. Like oh, you're yeah. going to be facing with that particular book anyway, you'll always be facing that yeah. if you decide to go that route, won't you? So yeah, I, I will. That will never, ever go away. And there's always a chance I could push a wrong button or there's a chance they're going to change their terms of service, which they change their terms of service on a fairly regular basis. And they don't let you know they're doing it. Yeah. Um, so for me, this is only for me. I know so many people who are doing really well with Amazon. I don't know that I ever would have done well with Amazon because it was stressful for me to try and deal with them. They just, they are, they're, they are powerful and capricious and there are millions of books available on Amazon right now. And people, I think, what is it? There's a few thousand authors who are making a living off of it. So when you sit there and think, I never felt like I needed to be in a big swimming pool. I can go to a little pond. I think I'm going to happy, happily just head off to my little pond, make as many people happy as I can and enjoy it as opposed to being the business person. Um, I just have to do it in the way that's going to satisfy myself, my partners, our readers. And uh, yeah, it's probably going to sound like, oh, she's a big failure, whatever. 
but I'm happy. (laughs) I think I'll place my happiness and satisfaction and my reader's happiness and satisfaction over looking good on Amazon. So have you gone to a different platform than uh, one of the other few ones? Yeah, I was actually, I was wide when all this happened. I was already on Kobo and Apple. I go through draft to digital one of the aggregators, because that just, again, not the business person. Feel free to take care of that for me. Um, so the biggies are your Apple, Kobo, and still Barnes & Noble, and some Overdrive, which is nice to get into libraries. So I'm with them. And then as I continue to do research, and that's what's ongoing now, is learning how to reach more readers and as many kinds of readers, because we know now people like audio, which is unfortunately very expensive and I have no money, but I could do a podcast mm. and then we could take the podcast and make it into an audiobook on our own. I happen to be married to an actor. So <laughs> as much as I love Tim, I got one in the house and I don't have to pay him. <laughs> but um, so people love audio. Some people actually like reading a chapter on their phone on the way to work. So we're investigating the, the pros and cons of just releasing things as a serial and then um, the creator economy. Like if you love it, feel free to throw us some money. We're on Buy Me A Coffee right now. So we have some supporters who um, send three or $5 when they can. And I may expand that to Substack. I don't know. It, right now it all looks like a bunch of white pages to me. And it takes, again, I am not fast. So it takes me a while to learn a new technology, but I think we might do that. So -hmm. people can subscribe to a specific book. And so once a week they get a soldier and once a week they get an outrageous or once a week they get a Gemini um, and then have the option to have the book for, some people are gonna like books, we'll have the books for them. Some people like to read once a week, we'll have that for them. Basically uh, uh, the poo-poo platter of fiction. Yeah. Oh, I guess you can't do Kindle Vela, but um, oh, hell you no. <laughs> <laughs> publish on what Wattpad then? Anything like that? Or I am on Wattpad. Your... I am on Wattpad. I have two very, very dedicated, one or two, I can't tell, one or two very dedicated readers on Wattpad. So you got to and... start somewhere is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely, a, you find as an independent author, don't you, that each stage is a whole new skill set you have to oh, learn. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, so... I... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was also looking at one called Royal Road, which is more um, genre-oriented, but it's also more social. <laughs> so here we are again, introverts are us, thinking, okay, <laughs> I think I could do it if I can get Kelly, um, she doesn't know I'm talking about this, if I can get Kelly to pick up the social thing where she responds to comments, <laughs> I can do that, because she's kind of- better at that than I am. It's kind of my dream as well to have a social media manager that I don't have oh, to pay man. too much. <laughs> I know, I know. That's um, a dream. That is like, that is when I can have someone do the talking for me is when I will be. Oh yeah, we're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when did you start your press then? Uh, was that when you started publishing in general or, or was that more Yes, it was. I got soldier out and then thought, hmm. I, I had a friend who's a lawyer and she's like, you need to protect your home assets from anything that has to do with the business. So we started with an LLC, Fadge Press. And then um, shortly thereafter, she and LegalZoom and our accountant were like, actually the best thing to do is be an S Corp, which is hysterical because I have not made, 
we have not made a profit in the five years that this thing's been in existence. And I'm like, how many years can you lose money on a thing before the government starts to care? I guess we'll find out. Yeah, they'll start thinking you're laundering money through your company or something. Yeah, yeah mar largo What? 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 I didn't say that. Um, yeah, no, that's it. So, but it was one of those things that no matter what, you do want to have the business publishing separated from your home assets so that if someone says, oh, you stole my work or, oh, you're a bad person and you're pirating or, you know, anything, um, they're not going to mess with the family. They're just mm. going to go after the business. Yeah. So it's not because I had any great aspirations of being a huge publishing empire. I just wanted to make sure everything was safe. And did you start that with your writing partners or did you bring them in afterwards? No, the business, technically the business itself is mine. Fadge Press is mine. However, Outrageous Fiction, and this happened very recently because I was so sick of seeing my own name and explaining that I don't always write it alone. I'm like, let's just hang a lantern on it. There are three of us and who knows, I might get more. I might get more people who want to come in and they can all write with each other while I'm you know, busy over here. But um, no, the, uh, they are writing partners and we have contracts per book. So, which we're all not making money on, but, um, but so that everybody always gets a, you know, gets the 50% of the royalties of whatever it is we're, we're doing at the time. And another thing about draft to digital that I like, they do the royalty split for me. Yeah, that is quite nice. I do not have to do the math. Now, my partners are wonderful human beings, and they should never have trusted me to, to uh, work with them on Kindle. <laughs> but, but we're all still writing, and we're all still having a good time. So, The other thing is you don't have to presumably do the accounting either when you're right. if they do it all. If they do it all, they get their own little 1099 forms and, uh, and it's all handled outside of my bank account, which is great. So yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm loving that part. Yeah, that sounds excellent. So how did you uh, find, well, how, did an, how did an introvert then find uh, some writing partners? Shall we go Well, like way? I said, we were, well, one of them is my best friend. I mean, we met years and years ago, still in the acting world. Right, okay. And she's the one who, can, who uh, sort of looped me into that role-playing thing I was telling you about. And then that's where I met LG, who's very hard sci-fi noir kind of a kind of a thing. He's got just this super dark detective, and he also writes. Um, he writes some horror uh, vampire stuff as well. So he's got a couple of different genres he approaches, um, and we just um, we all hit it off. We all had our different things that we'd like to do, and. So if you sit there and look at it, it's like mostly, it's funny because I really do like to work alone. I like having that freedom, but, but when I work with the partners, we can bounce ideas off each other. And then we get to this whole new, oh, I never thought of that. So let's go this way. And we just moved on into, well, why don't we just take what we were already doing and I'm already writing books. Why don't we do this together and see what we can get out there for the world. And it's really, it's hard because I'm a control freak. So I have to be very mindful that I can be that way. And I also, but I also still have to kind of wrestle in, like sometimes there's so many ideas and I have to go, but it's not a soap opera, it's a novel. So people, <laughs> they're gonna want to follow the one story, not the 60 stories. And so we have to, so it's like, there's this balancing line of being too controlling with being too loose because with Gemini Hustle, as a matter of fact, I'm re-editing Gemini Hustle because I should have been a little tougher on our extraneous, on some of our extraneous subplots that just didn't need to be there. So I'm actually pulling through and like pulling stuff out of that for a new edition. 
And I want to come bring that out at the same time as we publish the Libra Gambit. So, yeah, it is hard. interesting uh, giving up that bit of control. I've, I've started a, something I call Campfire Stories online. And uh, we, had a, we had one book with seven authors and I've done a second one with three authors. Uh, it was more and more like novellas. Um, we haven't published them yet. No one wanted to publish the first one, even though I thought it was interesting. But it's really, yeah, it's really interesting, um, the process of giving up that, <laughs> that level of control, isn't it? To, to let people take the story. In our case, we don't even discuss where it's going. We just sort of each person takes a chapter and you get to see where the story starts meandering after, oh, which is yeah. probably why no one wanted to publish it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely interesting um, giving up that that control. It's a learning experience as well. Yep. But um, you just have to sit there and go, they have diamonds. They have diamonds and we need to let those diamonds out because I know them. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like it's working with other people. And, and like you say, with the feedback as well, just well, the, the back and forth where you're where you're saying, oh, I never I never occurred to me that you know we would go could go in that direction for for me personally uh, that's something i definitely would like to develop uh because i have so much trouble in the middles of my stories and i'm just need someone to say okay they're like let's try going this way <laughs> so you have um two well i wasn't quite sure how to how to classify them I, I say more or less two series the fortune chronicles and the zodiac yeah, the, files fortune, yeah it is I, you sit there and think the fortune chronicles is like Discworld, because it is this one in, in one big world. But at the moment, there are two series in that world. So if you think of it's like the Arrowverse, on uh, uh, where you have the Arrow and the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. Okay, so Errant Freight is Legends of Tomorrow, and uh, the Gideon Quinn adventures are Arrow, but less gritty and with less soap opera. So it's it's basically this overlying MCU verse different heroes that we're following. And sometimes we're gonna have a big crossover event, um, two books down the road. So we're gonna have one more Gideon, one more Errant, and then we're gonna have the crossover and that's gonna be what I call phase one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so you're planning them out quite well in advance then, your series. We are, the only thing, we plan out the, the big, big, we're not, none of us are huge planners, which is kind of a problem, but it's also kind of cool. But we do, I have a, I have a big arc that I know is happening. And then it's just how they get to that point that's a little bit more up in the air. Like who's gonna be, who's solving what over here and who's solving what over there. I know we're coming together to solve this big thing at the end. You mentioned you have a, a PG-13 audience. Is that what who you write for? Like that's the tone you write for? Or do, you have, do you know that that is your audience? Like you, you know the demographic? I know I am in some middle school libraries. One of my beta readers actually said at high school, because she said, she wrote me and said her stepson's teacher had brought my books up in her class. And I was like, I wrote off of that one for days. Yeah, it's nice to get to a Hopefully class. He said something good. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think a lot of my readers, um, the ones who communicate with me are generally in, uh, older generation, more um, like, like baby boomers. But I also know that I have younger people because I know we're in those, I'm in, I'm in those libraries. And then there's this middle, middle grade range, like around my age and uh, uh, like say 30s to, to 50s. I've got, I've got a pretty hefty group there. Um, basically it's not about age. The thing is everybody thinks it's about age. Like everybody thinks it's about gender and women can't write action and men can't write romance. Stop it. Um, <laughs> I have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but 
what I'm aiming for isn't an age. What I'm aiming for is a mindset, which is uh, people who get energy and excitement and love to delve into characters that they want to meet over and over again. People who like a happy ending. Uh, people who don't mind trudging through some of the, the muck to get to that happy ending. So it's very much, you got to like the dark forest, you got to like some effort, but you also got to be comfortable with the idea that we're going to sometimes take time to get to know the guy who tends bar at a fine mess for like a page. That people matter, that it's not just, there's not this chosen one and everybody else is a cardboard cutout. I, I write for people who love being immersed in character and I say this in all seriousness, it's very much like Killjoys meets Ted Lasso because it's always a community and they are all vital to it. And yeah, there's humor and there's heartbreak and then, you know, we end up in a better place by the end. So you have a fairly wide audience then you'd say you'd, you'd get. I do. I have a wide audience of people who like to read not just genre. I have a wide audience of people who read a lot of stuff. Because I was, I was also wondering, speaking of genre, um, the way you describe it sounds a little bit space opera-y, although space opera has a whole bunch of other things sort of assumed oh, to be with it as well. Yeah. But you you label yours as military sci-fi. Is that just sort of the closest I thing you come to it? I actually don't. Did I label it that? that I saw one of them that was labeled that way, so I was quite curious. Yeah, yeah that was I didn't label it that. Somebody okay. did. <laughs> did, it get shel- did it get shelved on Good Goodreads? Because that that it was happen. probably on Amazon, one of the um uh, the audiobooks. Oh, oh, I have no control over that. The uh, audiobooks, yeah. they they tell you they have one, I'm amazed the audiobooks are still there. They 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 specify where those go. Right. Okay. But um no, it's really it's the the fortunes are steampunk low-tech. I, I I like to call it future fantasy because none of that tech, very little of that tech can actually happen. Like once you get into faster than light speeds for the Gemini Hustle, we're out. That's just not gonna happen that way. And I know it. So I try very carefully to make sure that Neil deGrasse Tyson will never look at my work and go, uh. <laughs> so what what would you characterize those? Because I, w- I mean, I, I write a few, I have a few of them in a similar genre, what I'd say. I would classify them sort of action adventure sci-fi, yeah. but there isn't, is there really a good category for that? It, do you find there's that? There's no, especially for fortune. Yeah, like I said, if the say, the day someone says, let's have future fantasy, we'll be in. Um, but it is, it's space opera, spy fi for Gemini. And then you could say, um, fortune are really, it's, you can sit there and say it's action, action adventure with steampunk elements is how I would probably put it for, for, um, for the existing genres we have. I could also call it eco-punk because they're all about protecting the environment. That's sci-fi like their, I've heard it called sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> various green, green punk as well as another one. Green it? punk, I like green that. Punk, yeah. <laughs> it's just not very punky. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, because you touched on a subject that's interesting to me um, because uh, you presumably attended some science fiction conventions at some point. I mean, you said you were, were in the RP world a little bit as well. Well, I was, but that was after we moved to Texas. So the only, the biggest convention I ever went to was long ago. I went to San Diego Con before it was SDCC. Like I went when it was still just in one room with a bunch of people with their comics and signing. It was way before that, but it was a lot of people and I was 14 and I didn't care. But um, 
Now, I've also been to uh, a writer's convention, which was not too, too huge, and it was conveniently literally right down the street from where I live. But yeah, I have realized this about myself as I am helping my youngest guide her way through college, which is that, and you may relate to this, I have never initiated a friendship. I may have started a conversation here and there over the years, but all my closest friends are people who came up to me first. I am apparently an abject coward when it comes to meeting people. So like, I can't tell you how much I admire that you are networking by doing this and in such an exciting way that you get to really meet and get in depth with people. And I was like thinking, man, I, my biggest conversation is with the checker at Target <laughs> at this point in life. Well, this is also a safe way because it's a screen to screen as well. <laughs> But yeah, I have, uh, I'm more or less like that. I have every once in a while, once every couple of years, maybe I have a, a spike moment where I will, you know, initiate something, but most of the rest of the time it's passive. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough, man. I don't know how I, how, how am I here? <laughs> well, uh, so I was wondering with conventions, cause I mean, we were speaking earlier and uh, I mentioned that I go to conventions, but literally for a four day convention, I won't meet anyone. Yeah. That's how bad I am. But one thing I have noticed is this, this differentiation between the various genres in sci-fi uh, sometimes to a scary level where yeah. especially you know each group has their uh you know oh this is sci-fi and the rest isn't really sci-fi you know you've hard right. sci-fi people and it's got to be hard sci-fi or it's just basically the same as tolkien and uh you know you have um and then you have the the golden age sci-fi people who oh, is yeah. really, you know, it has to be that kind of sci-fi. And, and that's for me is a little bit daunting as well. But uh -huh. it's occurred to me that now you mentioned faster than light, even though NASA currently has engineers talking about of course drives that but, can do this, maybe. But um But will they get you there before everybody you know died? <laughs> well, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> um, but the interesting thing is to think that hard sci-fi mostly deals with a path we can see to the technology in the foreseeable future. Like we right. can, we can say, okay, we could do that now with a bit more infrastructure in place. Yeah. Um, whereas science fantasy or, you know, uh, what we more call science fantasy, even space opera type things. Yeah. We don't fully know whether they're possible or not, do we? No. Um, you know, given enough time and your, your books, I think are set, well, 14 something AL. I don't know how far after landing. Well, you gotta figure it's it took a while to build the ships. It took a while for the ships to get there. It took a while for the planet to be properly engineered. So and they've been on the planet for 1400 years. And so, so that so at, at least probably 24, 3,000, 4,000 years yeah. in the future, potentially. Yeah. 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 I mean, because who knows at the at the rate of I mean, we're still we're still on the exponential curve up in our technology right now. Um, so who knows what we're going to reach before we destroy ourselves. <laughs> I don't want to go there, but <laughs> yeah. before yeah. we, before we get off the planet, shall we say, or get off, get out of the solar system. <laughs> um, so, so there's another point that I, it's a, sort of a, not really a pet peeve, but an issue that I bring up sometimes when people get on the hard sci-fi too much. Um, so I was in one group online, which was, it was a digital universe, basically, where there were worlds and you could, you know, start making stories within each world. And in the forum, someone was saying, oh, well, we want to keep this reasonably hard sci-fi. So like no worlds populated by cartoon characters. And, and as an author and a, and a 
highly imaginative person, <laughs> I immediately yeah. work on a way to, to create a, a realistic scenario where you could have cartoon characters populating <laughs> your world, right? <laughs> so, and you could think, you know, if we uploaded our, ourselves, if we became incredibly risk averse to build a, a world where we, where we upload ourselves to like the metaverse, Matrix. Yeah, exactly. And then we, 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 you know, to make it look populated, you put like emitters around or something, you know, you holographic yeah, yeah. emitters, you, you, you then get basically a cartoon world. Yep. Um, so there's even a hard science fiction direction to get a cartoon world, for example. So, <laughs> so I, I don't rule anything out myself. Oh, um, no. I don't rule it out, but I do try to avoid getting to arguments about phases of the moon or faster than light or, um, you know, what, how, how good are the inertial dampeners? Like I will go, and I mean, I'll look stuff up in the moment or when I'm doing the second draft and going, well, I kind of think I feel like I should explain that a little bit. So I'll find things that actually exist. And a lot of that, more of that is in the biotech area for fortune than it is in the hard um, mechanics for Gemini. But just because we are desperately trying to save the planet, um, you can find things that, the different kinds of housing, different kinds of energy production, different kinds of um, just growing food that are less stressful to the environment that are in practice or being developed right now. So those are actually pretty easy to glom onto. But I also don't want to, I want people to feel grounded enough that they can enjoy the story, but I also don't want them worried about whether or not this could actually happen. Because the second you, someone, someone a long time ago, I read an author say, I don't care what genre you write in, the second you start the story, you're in an alternate universe because you're making a world that wasn't there before you started. Right. So I don't have a lot of, I don't worry a lot about the science when I'm writing. I just don't want anybody else to worry about it either. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it comes down to the most important thing being internally consistent with your story. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you throw exactly. people out of it. Yeah. In this universe, this is how this is going to work. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. how did you start developing your universe for the, the Fortune Chronicles? I am an inside out writer. So I did not do the world grows as I write it. Um, I don't start with an idea of a world so much as I start inside the skin of a person. And then I see what they're seeing. And anytime I start to have trouble with building after that, it's because I'm not suitably in the skin of the person and I might need to change point of view. But it started with the idea of a person in a situation that was not ideal. And the big question I was asking myself once I got onto that land that I knew was an earth was, what do we hang on to? What do we hang on to from where we were that we bring with us and what can we let go of? So it turns out on Unfortune, you know, we value nature, we value the environment that actually is paramount, even more, more important because of um, the social structure than our individual lives, the, the planet gets to win. But still people hung on to um, the names of big corporations and they hung on to like uh, antiquities that came over. Like you'll find out an errant freight, someone may have had a pair of Le Bouton shoes or yeah, I think the shoes, the shoes were the big one. And then there was the Frisbee over in Fortune's Fool. So there were just old, old things that came from, from came over on the, on the ships that, that are, they're just, you know, almost sacred because it's something that came from before. Well, I noticed also, um, 
in Soldier of Fortune, at least when I'm assuming, assuming it carries through, um, a lot of the corporate names. Yes. Uh, so how did you envision that? Did Boy, you... do I have to be careful about that. <laughs> I try to make sure I'm getting corporate names that also have names that mean something else, like the Amazon rainforest or an oracle. Or... <laughs> right. So, so so, did you just envision them as uh, megacorps that, that have a huge presence on these places? or I think, no, it was more that I think possibly they were giving money to the, the cause of getting the ships together. Like that's mm. where all the money was to, to, to make the hop. Right, okay. I don't think the governments were worked together enough to get it done. So they're like, yeah, we want we want to have a, a city named after our company yeah. when you land there or something. But you'll also find out, like I keep mentioning this one place called Epsilon and I have a Delta. So we're starting to add the Greek names to a lot of Greek letter names because those are the actually landing spots that ended right. up forming communities too. But that's just like one of those slow developments that I kind of went, oh, look, I have an Epsilon and a Delta. What can we do with it? Why did I write that? There must be a reason. Do you think we'll be seeing, uh, you know, as Mars starts to develop, do you think we'll be seeing like corporate city names and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we're already doing it for sports. <laughs> sports field. The arenas are all, all, all branded. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure the moon and, and Mars are going to get branded. Don't love it, but I think it's going to happen. I guess we'll we'll know when Elon Musk starts taking broader um, corporate sponsorship, maybe yep. <laughs> Coke or something on the side of his, uh, <laughs> yeah. his SpaceX rocket. Yeah. Um, for for the world of fortune, did you you said it was an engineered world? Have you how did you envision that? Like, is it is it sort of mega engineering project where the whole thing was created, or is it more of a terraforming project? No, it was more of a terraforming project, which is going to play out into a lot of different ways later. But yeah, so and and it and it was very much, and it's so funny because I just read um, on Atlas Obscura that they're. I mean, we all know that they're trying to clone certain animals that are either uh, that are on the verge of extinction. Well, now they're trying to bring back the great aurochs, which I have aurochs on Fortune. <laughs> I saw. <that laughs> it was like, see, it's totally possible <laughs> that I think the the way it happens in my mind, and of course in my mind it's really compressed and it would have taken a long time, is that they basically brought it down to caterpillar primordial ooze territory and then seeded in what's necessary to grow into first land mass, what you want growing on the land mass, and then what kind of biological life you want emerging. And that's how come we have Dracos, because somehow a bird and a lizard got in there together, and now we have Dracos. I had <laughs> one in one of my stories. stories, one of my stories, but I just liked it, so I put it as a, as a genetic engineering project <laughs> from someone. <laughs> so yeah, just thinking of the way you're describing it and, and, uh, and what's happening, you might end up having your Soldier of Fortune series here, Fortune Chronicles, being hard sci-fi in another decade or two. <laughs> yeah, it could be, well, especially with the biotech. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Uh, and do you have a lot of aliens in your books at all? Not in Fortune, but in uh, Hustle. In the, in the Zodiac, we had, we didn't have as many as we might have liked in the first one. But the second one, <laughs> we've expanded our, our sapient question by, by quite a bit. <laughs> that was your spy five series, yeah. as you call it. I like that name. Because they're out there in the world. They're out there in the universe talking to people, meeting other folk, and, you know. What, what are your thoughts on that um, in general as a, as a, on the real plane? Do uh, you think we'll ever find anyone? We think they're out there at so all. My mother has a, has a theory that they're come that they're already looking at us and just going, "What is wrong with you people?" And then I think we, that's a general. I mean, it's like, are, are we are we terrible warning to the rest of the known? I, I don't know. 
I can't believe there is a universe that has one sad little sapient species. I cannot mm. accept that. But because it is a universe of, it's so massive. Um, what does the life look like? How far away is it? How many civilizations have crumbled before we showed up? How many are just now beginning? We can't, it's all really big and we really do not have the answers, but I do not for a second believe that this is it. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be interesting to think, um, sometimes I wonder if it almost feels like, you know, there's so many galaxies, each galaxy could be an incubator, you know, for yeah. like a small handful of, of intelligent races, given the statistical improbability of intelligence developing. Well, um, and also, but we also have a very narrow version of what intelligence is or how true. a mind should work or what sapience is. And also, you <laughs> well, I also discussed this uh, on a recent interview, the idea of AI, of course, as well. Oh, oh so, I heard part of that one. I heard yeah. part of that one. So if you get and then AI. I because I, I was going to start <laughs> anticipating your questions. And I'm like, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no I just, now I can listen to the rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the idea that if, you know, if you if you develop an AI, AI is the likely intelligence that would like proper true AI that would actually go out there most likely, right? It has a lot yeah. of advantages over humans. So yeah. then you get to a point where that becomes the, the intelligence, potentially even, you know, galaxy size intelligence, yeah. which then, you know, either seeds other life or does whatever it does. Observe um, or pour it on. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's, there's just so much possibility right now, isn't there? I mean, what if AI really just wanted to have fun? Do we ever think of that? <laughs> just wants to watch, and we're like, well, <laughs> oh, that gets a little creepy. I, I won't, I won't, I won't put this out too much. But um, I got some some books where these ideas are explored a little bit <laughs> that I'm yeah. working on. Cool. Yeah, the, the idea of you know, there's always well, there was other. What was it? Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I can't remember any books at the moment. But some some of the stories where you know. Well, there's there's uh, there's the ships in um, uh, Ian Banks. That's what I'm thinking of. Ah. Uh, so he's got his culture series where he has intelligent ships, huge vessels that with their AI that just roam the, the galaxy, basically um, that that kind of thing. And they they house humans and entire ecosystems within them. You know, and there's also the idea of like you say, an AI creating an, its own universe within its imagination. I mean, if we can create uh, digital universes within our computers. Certainly yep. an AI can create a universe within its own mind, basically. Yeah, I, I gotta be honest, there are days, so many days when I think this has to be a video game. It just <laughs> has to be because nothing else could explain the level of things going wrong, except neuroscience, which can totally explain all of it. But that's a lot harder to fix. Then you keep like walking over to seashores and throwing stones, see if you're gonna hit a digital wall or something. Yep, um, when are you gonna bring the turn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're getting towards the end. So um, before we move into the second segment, the Revenge of the Muse, uh, I have two questions I ask all my guests. Uh, and well, we'll just go ahead and ask them then. The first one is, uh, since this is the Alternate Futures podcast, if there is one thing you could change right now on the planet to bring about a future you'd like to see, what would it be? There's a lot of choices. So let me think. Part of me just wants to make social media go away, but I don't think that would solve the problem. That's been a popular one. <laughs> because, <laughs> popular well, answer. and that's just it. It's, if there was a way to bring about the kind of change where every, okay, let's just, let's dream big. I would, the change I would have is that actually every single being is 
safely has a home, food, access to education and health. Every single person, I don't care where you live, none of that. That is, I think, erasing want mm. and need would go a long way. We'd still have angry people. Of course. But yeah. there would be a lot of, a lot less of them. So that, that's, yeah, I'm glad you narrowed it down to want or need to make it sound like it, to make it sound like it's one thing. <laughs> it seems like it's an awful lot, yeah. but yeah, no, it's definitely a good choice. Um, the second question is, um, let's say if Earth's life support systems die in the next 10 years, hmm. as we've been told by some people, um, yeah. and you had a choice between living on a colony, extra extraterrestrial colony, or living uploaded in the metaverse, which one would you choose? Hmm. Probably go with the colony. I, I have yet to take have someone take the metaverse. <laughs> because we're, because good, bad, or indifferent, we are pretty much primed to be sensory beings. Um, although, and another thing about the metaverse is you don't really think about it, but it kind of uses up a lot of power. <laughs> so where's that going to come from? Yeah, that was an interesting discussion. Um, a Rapture of the Nerds by ah. Cory Doctorow and Charles Strauss. Ooh, uh, it was quite it's quite that. a fun book but yeah they, they actually they actually have a literal cloud that's been created where everyone's been uploaded to and then they do have a discussion of you know the amount of information that you're allowed to use and, and the resources yeah. and stuff even oh, though everything's gonna yeah they're always going to be limited by yeah but yeah. that's helpful because people without limits would be very bad yeah well it makes you think of god then doesn't it <laughs> it's an interesting uh interesting juxtaposition ideas perhaps um uh, so we'll move on to revenge of the muse so prior to this interview i sent you four randomly ruled story cubes that represent categories of hero action setting and science fiction element and asked you to prepare a short introduction to a story using the cubes as guides uh, for those uh listening along at home who'd like to try their hand or just to see the images or to read a um transcript of this of the story introduction They'll be on the alternatefutures.co.uk website in the podcast section. And uh, you've asked me to read it, so I'll, I shall do that. And then uh, we can sort of discuss um, how the cube images influenced the story development <laughs> ideas <laughs> in, in whatever way they did. The, 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 the more random, the better in some ways. <laughs> the more fun that way anyway. <laughs> okay, so, so here we go. Chandra blinked away the rain, because of course it would be pouring barks and weasels, only to spy a security team slogging around the corner of cell block Echo, their weapons gleaming as the tower searchlight passed over them. With a hissed curse, she pulled back into the crawl space so she could observe the quartet as they made their way to the far end of the block. What's the holdup? Worth's whisper filtered through the narrow space and Chandra's calm simultaneously, given they were positioned right behind her. Patrol, she replied tersely. Great, Worth muttered, sounding as disgusted as Chandra felt, lying flat on the ever-deepening channels of mud forming under the infirmary. Hope they don't take long. A bee's voice reverberated in Chandra's ear from where she held position behind Worth and the asset. I'm getting hangry. You're always hangry, Worth pointed out, though they still kept their voice low. I thought the Baronese were famous for having a slow metabolism. The Baronese metabolism is a myth the Priaxi colonizers used to justify starving the Baronese they enslaved. Abi growled, her voice so deep Chandra half expected the ground to shake. Whoa, Worth breathed. I had not heard that. How come I never heard that? 
Because the Priaxi are masters of PR, Abi replied still bitter. They colonized countless worlds, enslaved billions, and when their empire falls, they are remembered only for the interstellar portals they built with stolen technologies. The Priaxi do have a lot of statues, Worth murmured. Um, a diffident voice emerged from behind, but not in Chandra's calm. They hadn't bothered giving the asset a spare. Uh, not to be rude, is this the right place for a civics lesson? I mean, shouldn't we be focused on getting out of here? I'd think the underbelly of a private prison an excellent place for a civics lesson, a bee observed. And captain's always focused, Worth added. Chandra grinned at that, but the asset wasn't wrong about the need to get moving. As silently as possible, she elbowed through the muck to peer into the yard and see that their way forward was finally clear, and tapped her comm twice to open a channel to their ship. Ground one to Sybil, we're on the move. Meet us at the perimeter in five mix, over. Sybil, ground one, copy. The AI's response was staticky thanks to the perimeter's field interference. See you on the other side, over. Ground one, over and out, Chandra murmured, closing the channel. Okay, team, cut the chatter. We need to move before the night nurse figures out that bed number 19 is occupied by a clever pillow sculpture. Oh, thanks, Worth, who sculpted the said pillows inserted. You can resume civics lessons and raid the galley as soon as we're aboard the Anath, Chandra told them. Copy. Copy that. Oh, thank goodness. Chandra barely had time to register the asset's wispy statement before the blare of a klaxon sounded, telling her that the night nurse had, in fact, discovered that bed number 19 contained a trio of pillows wound around a mop. Okay, Chandra drew her weapon and activated her HUD. Time for plan B. I hope I didn't mess that up too badly. <laughs> Your static was amazing. I could oh. not do that static. <laughs> oh, thanks. So I was just wondering if you could sort of take us through your thought processes uh, that took you from those cube images. I can see one or two of them may be obvious, um, but if you could just guide us through uh, what they were first and then how you interpreted them. Okay, well, I basically looked at them and thought, well, isn't that every sci-fi ever? Because <laughs> you've got the hero. Um, I think the one that actually impacted me the most subconsciously is the action has somebody laying down with something flying over them. And I thought, and I didn't consciously notice that until now. And I thought, oh, well, they are laying down in a thing. And <laughs> so that might've been in there somewhere. But keep in mind, this is one of those, I was emulating my college age students by, uh, my kids, by not remembering that I was supposed to do this till the day before it was supposed to happen. <laughs> so basically, a reminder then. <laughs> oh, that's every sci-fi element ever. And I was like, so I just put the list down and then I came up with a few names and then I started, which is kind of how many of my things often work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds good. <laughs> there um, really was not a lot of forethought involved in this. It was just, okay, go. <laughs> Sometimes that's the best way, isn't it? Just to just to get started. Do you, do you ever think that that might turn into a story in uh, in a series somewhere? It probably could. I could. I actually afterwards thought I could change up a couple of little things and insert them into the Zodiac verse if we wanted to do some. Again, if like I have two for two universes now, and certainly they could open up, especially if other people wanted to come in and play, we could open it up to um, some more characters. I do not have that much time to get into more, but I would not mind at all if um, LG wanted to get together with someone else and they wanted to spin off a different set of characters. I also, because on top of all this, I do have an urban fantasy that I have been really wanting to get to for a long time. I even have the covers for the first two. I mean, I'm ready to go on this, 
but I also understand that readers kind of want to see what's been going on. So I'm trying to figure out how to balance my time to create a little bit of everything. That's why I do, that's why I do sprints. And so I can like hit at least one story a day. Yeah, no kidding. I can see, I can see what you mean. Definitely. I mean, I have developing my own universe right now with, I, I actually brought it into a universe or a bit more than a universe um, just because I had so many diverse stories. I was trying to bring them all together and figuring out how I could possibly approach them. And I just said, okay, let's try to put them all into some kind of same framework, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Cause you yeah. said you've already planned out um, the fortunes one to another two I've, stories, at least three, three stories. We've got, okay. Yeah. We've, we've got, and, we're, and we, and I have these tales of fortune, these little ones that happen in between because I'm a character writer. And if I have a chance to do something short, that's really character focused, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But, but I can see your, your issue with time for sure. <laughs> and still trying to actually, you know, I still have to go out in the world to make money to support the business because the business isn't supporting the business yet. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's the fun that, part of being an author. But again, the thing that is for, for, for this brain and maybe for your brain is that if I didn't, while I'm not going out and doing other things, whether it's making money or volunteering or anything, I have less story to produce. I mm. am trying to, it's taking work because I spent years trying to be the person that everybody says writers have to be sitting at a desk so many hours a day. And I dried out and I burned out and it was terrible. So now I'm working to work, go back to where I was busy in the outside world, wrote for two hours, but they were really good two hours. And, um, so yeah, I will still, I will have less time, but I would get more done with it. So I, I'm looking forward to, I don't know, getting a slightly less hectic, weird job than the cat sitting. <laughs> yeah, I can appreciate what you just said. I mean, I, I look back to when I was most productive, which was actually about 15 years ago or more. Um, and then I, I became a, um, a house spouse, as it were, as well. And looking after my daughter um, yep. as she was going to school. So uh, that, so that, then I lost focus on the writing part of the business. I stayed in the business, but, you know, publishing, uh, I did cover designs and graphic artwork and stuff uh, and just got sort of widely sidetracked. So I had a whole bunch of novels. I actually finished at the beginning, but never, never revised them well enough to publish or anything. <laughs> now I have to re regain, like you say, regain that, that enthusiasm and that sort of drive. Yeah. yeah. It seems counterintuitive, but I think there is a significant number of people who are creatives and who are writers who are, again, trying to do what, what the myth says we do, but the myth is not correct. Yeah. I mean, well, some I people on, do write one book. On your blog, uh, where you were discussing sort of the changing of direction. And you mentioned, I think you, you gave me a link to Kevin Snyder's blog with the um, the success. So you have the the two graphs mm -hmm. of success. I like that. Where, whereas the expected graph is a straight line and then yeah. the actual graph is a big squiggly that, that yeah. generally goes up, but <laughs> but it goes yeah. down as much as it goes up. <laughs> some, days, yeah. some days it goes to a derelict building at two o'clock in the morning. In New York. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think we're, we're actually about done we're, we're used up our time but before we go perhaps you could tell us uh, where to find you online uh, what to look okay. for next from you and and if you, you know, upcoming events you're attending or anything like that does anybody go to any events anymore any uh, events? I'm, I'm i think there are some i'm starting to see see some coming so i don't know <laughs> i wanted to i wanted to go to one in um well, i wanted to attend the virtual version of one in montana but i just can't afford it so i'm gonna be here 
for a while, but you can see all of our, you can see mine and uh, Les and LG and Kelly, you can see us on uh, outrageousfiction.com. If you want to support our work, you can buy the books at our own PayHip store, or you can buy them at Kobo or Apple or Barnes and Noble, lots of others. You can also just drop a dollar or two in our buy me a coffee fund, because that goes to help us publish uh, the Libra Gambit, which is our next up. It's finished. We just have to pay for editing and copyright, and then we can just send it out into the world. Uh, the next one after that is going to be The Crew Who Came In From the Cold, which is a novella featuring Errant Freight's crew, the Errant Freight crew. And after that, it's just the ongoing cycle of uh, Zodiac, Fortune, Sin City, Zodiac, Fortune, Sin City, as fast as I can get it out, but still stay sane. <laughs> and, and possibly squishing in an urban fantasy somewhere in there. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> Best case scenario. <laughs> the Sin City Blues, that's the one. It's going to be the Sin City Blues, and the first one is Hidden Dragon. Oh, it sounds exciting for sure. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Kathleen McClure, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. I'm getting to talk to a real person. Oh, <laughs> well, hopefully we can have you back sometime. Uh, I hope so. If we ever get ours going, if we ever actually get our our art, because it's I would not do this alone. I would do it with the actor across the way. Um, I really hope you'll you'll come and talk to us. Yeah, that'd be sound great. Yeah, I love Excellent. it. Excellent. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. And thanks for listening. More information on my guests, as well as their story intros and the news cubes can be found in the podcast section of alternatefutures.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, please share, like, follow, and generally spread the word. Finally, if you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at Subscribestar or on locals.com, where you can join the community and get in on the discussion around some of the issues we've brought up today or in other episodes. And thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode. This is the future. Human error. Evolution. This is the future.